The Deviation Podcast. Welcome to the Deviation Podcast. My name is Paige, and today I'm so excited to say that Diana Tackett is here with me. Diana, do you want to introduce yourself? Yes. Hi, I'm Diana Tackett. Uh, my main name is Hensley. I uh, flew EMS helicopters for almost 30 years, and before that I was a, a warrant officer in the National Guard in Missouri and in Arkansas. And uh, I'm also an EMT. And on top of that, you have your mother to how many children? I I have five sons and, uh, oh, I think 12 grandkids now and two great-grandkids. So now, everyone listening, you have a at least the beginnings of an idea as to why I asked Diana to be on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So her and I, she's actually been gifted one of our service dogs with Labs for Liberty. And while she was doing the whole, we call a pairing process where she's, her and the dog are getting to know each other better and she's learning everything that the dog knows how to do. So the dog can really help her in the best way he can. Um, her and I actually met and we had a long conversation that, um, hindsight's 2020. I wish I had recorded it just because she's, she's incredible. Um, and so from there, I, I asked her to be on the podcast, but anyways, you're here. And so I'd love to hear your life story. I'd love to hear how everything started, where you're from and, uh, just walk me through how it is that you've gotten to where, where and who it is that you are today. Um, well, I grew up in uh, Cape Girardeau. My dad was uh, Navy and uh, retired out of the Navy. And um, it felt like just a normal middle class growing up. But when I graduated from high school, then I joined the National Guard. And then a, a year or so later, they were looking for people to go to flight school. And right place, right time, uh, I applied, and uh, I went to flight school. And once I graduated, I became Missouri National Guard's first female pilot and first female warrant officer. And Man. so then it just it just kind of went from there, you know. I uh, met my well, husband. Hold on. Before, you, before you move on to meeting your husband, I have a question about that, like, how was okay. that? That couldn't have been easy to be the first, the first female in those positions. No, no, it was a. Uh, this was a uh, 1981 is when I well 1982 is when I graduated from flight school, and um, when I graduated, I was the 150th female to graduate from flight school down in Fort Rucker, Alabama. So it was very much uh, 
I think the ratio at the time was like 50 to 1, if not 100 to 1. So there was very few of us down there, you know, but uh, it was, it was a, I don't know, I guess I was just kind of raised in that environment where, you know, that you can do whatever you want, you know, as a female, you can do whatever you want to do or put your mind to do it. And, um, you know, it was, yeah, there was times, you know, I was told, uh, yeah, we, you're a female. We don't think you should be down here. So I, I did kind of, uh, have, I, there was a lot of times, you know, I had to kind of just back up and, and do it. You know, you, you, you try to, you know, I wasn't, it's a tough environment for anybody, but yeah, I was, uh, lucky that I had a lot of people that really supported me and uh, you know, I, I made it through it. <laughs> and there's a yeah. lot of things in life you you look back on and you kind of think, how on earth did I do that, you know? And and you think, I don't know. You know, you just do it, you know. You just go through it and you and you do it. And then, then you look back and you go, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so then so then you met your husband. Was that while you were in flight school? No, I met uh, Rick when I got back out of, you know, when I got back to Missouri. Uh, he was active duty uh, military, and he was stationed at uh, Fort Leonardwood at the time. And we had gone to actually uh, Fort Chaffee, Arkansas. And so I was National Guard, and he was Army, and we were short a pilot, and they were actually short helicopters. So he ended up flying with me. Um, and uh, so the official story is that's how we met. But, well, actually, we met in the officer's club later that night, and uh, we were throwing beers on each other, as officers kind of do in the officer's club. and. <laughs> He walked up uh, next to me and and sat down, and he was dry, and I took my beer and threw it on him, and I said, hi, I'm Diana, and he took his beer and threw it on me and said, hi, I'm Rick. So, so yeah, that's kind of really how we met. (laughs) (laughs) We've been married 35 years now, so, yeah. (laughs) Wow. How was it working together? Um, It there was a lot of advantages to working together, especially doing EMS, because you understand what the other person is going through. It's a very, you know, uh, EMS can be so traumatic, and um, so it, in a lot of ways, it was, it really helped knowing that he understood what I was going through, and, you know, uh, so it was kind of created a bond there, you know, that we could share, you know. Absolutely. But yeah, there's a lot of rough days with, with EMS flying that, you know, people think just because you're the pilot, you don't experience any of it. But, yeah, we see everything that the, the paramedic and the nurse do and are the two paramedics. And, yeah, it can be – there's a lot of things you, you can't undo once you see them. Oh, I'm sure. Was there anything in particular that that really stood out during that time of 
Well, how long did, did you two work together? Um, close to, well, about 25 years, you know, off and on. Wow. Um, yeah. I, I flew offshore for a while at first. He flew offshore, um, down in, off Louisiana. And then, um, he started flying EMS in, uh, Little Rock. And then I started flying offshore. Because as a pilot, you have to build so many hours, and that's one way that a lot of pilots go, and you go offshore and you you fly long, you know, eight-hour days down there or, or more, you know. So you build a lot of time pretty quick. That so I, sense. Yeah, and, and so we started flying together in Springfield, Missouri, and, um, you know, that we had a, a great crew there and then uh flew there and then we went and flew um down in Florida. But yeah, it was it was an interesting environment flying in uh Louisiana. I was like I think they said the seventeenth female and uh <laughs> I was on one platform and uh this my I had my two guys that I was taking around during their job and this other guy needed a, a ride from his platform, from the main platform to one of the other platforms, and he didn't want to take the boat because it would take like an hour or whatever, you know, to get over there. And I could hop him over there in the in the helicopter in five minutes, you know. So, so he asked for a ride, and I'm like, yeah, you know, I I can take you over there. And um, and then he has the gall to say, well, I think I can fly with a female pilot, and it was like. Wow, he just asked me for a ride, and then you're going to say that? You know, it's like, wow. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. But that's the kind of things that, you know, would happen. It was, you know, people would, uh, yeah, I I routinely heard a lot of those kind of comments, you know. So you you try to, like, just put it, you know, behind you and, and go on and do your job. But, yeah. You know, it's and and the the weird thing is, is even after flying as long as I flew, I, I still heard those comments. You know, um, in you know, in two thousand nine or you know two thousand ten, you know, you still hear those comments, and it's like, okay, we're not the same backward place that we thought we were, but you know, in some ways we are. You know, it's and there's nothing physically demanding about being a pilot you know it's nothing you know you're not hauling big boulders or anything like that but yeah it's still considered a a male dominated field even today so how how did you i mean how did you get through that because that had to just it had to be infuriating uh yeah you know a lot of it I, i guess i just learned um just learn to take the high road and a lot of times that's what I do a lot with try in my life you know you just try to let some of it go and um you know you take the high road and don't try not to let those kind of comments or those kind of people bother you you know and it's a lot of times it's really tough but you know you, you realize that what they say really doesn't affect your life, you know. It's hmm. uh, it's their life, and that you know. I've also, I've often thought that 
you never know when there's going to be that one comment you're going to make to somebody that is going to change their life, you know, that you can make, you can let things go and, uh, or, or try to take the high road and there's going to maybe somebody off to the side that goes, wow, you know, I should be more like that and not like be again and, you know, with my heels and make a big deal about it. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, That's a really good point. It's kind of how, yeah, it's kind of how I tried to live my life, I guess, you know. Was, was there ever a time that, that your husband overheard one of those comments? Oh, yeah. Yeah. There was, <laughs> there was a lot of those, those comments, you know, or times and, he was always good to support me, and and that was always important. Uh, when I first got in the National Guard, before I went to flight school, my my stepdad was also in the National Guard in the same unit, and um, I was on a uh, in an honor guard, and I was carrying the flag. And I remember my stepdad told me later he's walking beside this guy, and he makes this comment about. Whoa, look at that girl in that uniform. And he said something about, well, you know, before you did anything, you'd have to ask uh, her father. And he's like, the guy was like, oh, well, why is that? And he goes, because I'm her dad. <laughs> and the guy's, the guy's jaw just like dropped open, you know. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> so, so I guess you should always watch what you're saying about anybody, you know, because you never know. Who's going to be next to you? <laughs> oh no, you that's really probably don't. one of those good life lessons, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. I yeah, bet you he really... never said, or at yeah. least I hope that he never said anything like that again because of that experience. Right, right. You like to think that maybe he, yeah, down the road he went, okay, I'm not going to say anything because this is a bad thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness, yeah. So then, yeah. so then, what what was like the next step? Well, um, let me see. Rick and I, after we flew in uh, Missouri, then we went and flew in um, in Florida, because uh, we'd always wanted to like be on the beach, and you know, we right time, right place, and um, so we went down to. Uh, Fort Myers, Florida, and started flying down there. And uh, that was in 98, I guess, that's when we went down there. And uh, that was a a really nice, you know, place to fly. And there was days you'd fly out, and you're looking at this beautiful blue water, and you think, yeah, that's why I'm in Florida, you know, because it reminds you that, ah, you know, but yeah, it, it's nice living in Florida, but then you realize that, yeah, I don't go to the beach as often because I know when everybody is living there or, you know, everybody's at the beach or, you know, different things. And so, yeah, you you find yourself just working and living and, and doing your everyday thing, you know. And when we went to Florida, our, most of our sons still were up here in Missouri and they were grown by them. So only two of our sons went down there with us. So, you know, and 
I was thinking about 9-11. We were down in Florida uh, the day the day on 9-11, and we were flying on duty. And I was on night. So after uh, the attacks, you know, the whole air traffic control system, everything shut down. There were no planes flying. So I had, except for, like, EMS, we were still allowed to fly, like, on um, uh, special transponder squawks. On the, so air traffic control knew that, you know, it was us by our squawk. But so I went to, I had a transfer to Tampa from Fort Myers, and I'm, like, the only person talking to all these people in air traffic control, which is normally a busy system, and it was, it was surreal. It was really surreal. So no that hitting. Were yeah, you actually yeah. like? Were you physically in the air when when nine eleven happened? No, I was. Um, my husband was on duty when we were working. Um, often, what the, what happened was he would be on days and I would be on nights, and then we'd be off. We worked seven days on, and seven days off, and so then when we were off. Uh, or then the next week, then we would rotate. So, you know, we'd, who was on days and who was on nights. So, um, mm-hmm. so when he was on days, uh, I was on nights. So he was on days on 9-11 and I was on nights. So he was on that day. Yeah, it was, I was, uh, it was a strange feeling, you know. I remember, oh, yeah. I remember, uh, watching everything on TV and, Thinking this, our world is never going to be the same, and it hasn't been. Yeah, that is that part of why I know this is backtracking a bit, but is that is that? I mean, why why did you want to join EMS? Uh, Why did you want to be part of that in the first place? Well, actually, no. (laughs) I uh, when I. Right after flight school, I was going to join um, the Missouri Highway Patrol, and um, it was kind of weird because I remember thinking at the time, I thought, oh, I don't know that I can do that because of all the blood. You know, I thought, mm-hmm. oh, you know, that'd be really terrible to, like, go on scene and see all this blood and, you know, the car wrecks and this and that. And... um when we were down, we were down in, um, after I married Rick, we were down in Arkansas, and some of the people in our National Guard unit flew EMS down there. So Rick started flying EMS, and then um, the opportunity came up to us go to Springfield, and I started flying EMS. Flying EMS is probably one of your more rewarding Fields. It's not like um, being a glorified taxi cab driver. You feel like you're actually doing something, you know. There are a lot of times when it was uh, really heartbreaking, you know, but it was, you know, it was also very rewarding. The, the kids, when you fly EMS or in EMS, whether you're an EMT or a paramedic or a pilot, um, when you, the kids are always the hardest to to handle uh, emotionally, you know. Oh, Physically, okay. you do your job, and um, we're all trained that you just 
you know, you do your job. But after the calls, a lot of times you could just look at your crew and and everybody has this white, drained kind of look to them. Um, mm-hmm. Like it's just, it's a lot, you know. I, I One of them that sticks with me is um, I was landing on the scene uh, down in Florida and uh, I looked down and here's this uh, this uh, policeman and he's guarding this child that was covered up by a blanket and he's making sure that he held the blanket over the child that was deceased that was thrown from a car and that that's one of those that just has stuck with me over the years you know the, the sight of this you know, patrolmen like kneeling over this dead body of this kid because the parents yeah. didn't have them strapped in a car, you know. So, you know, there's a lot of those kind of things. Um, there's not many roads I can drive on here or in Florida that, that don't have ghosts for me, you know, that, uh, you know, when I drive down, I know, geez, you know, this, there is bad accident here and I, you know, and I, I have somewhat of a photographic memory, so I mm-hmm. those things it's like it happened yesterday almost. And, you know, I, there's pluses and, and minuses to almost everything you do. You know. Yeah. How did you? I mean, was it hard to not have that affect the way you parented your boys? I mean, I, I mean, I can imagine if I was in your situation, like I might. I might want to, I mean, I can be a little bit controlling as it is, so I could imagine myself, like, just wanting to control all of it because I wouldn't want something oh. like that to happen. Yeah, when we were here in Springfield, um, the older boys were all starting to drive. Uh, so as you can imagine, that that was pretty, you know, that's a pretty hard time for any parent. And oh, yeah. but no one, knowing what we do, you know, you you think, oh my gosh, you know, um, yeah. I I was like, okay, you know, be careful, call, you know. Uh, and this was before cell phones, so yeah, you, you know, you're like, okay, when you get to so and so's house, call me, or you know, you you be home at you know, eleven o'clock, if not a minute later, and then if it's eleven o one, you're just freaking out, you know, because it's like, oh, I know what can happen. We, one of the one of the funny things that uh, happened was, uh, you know, I w- we would fly these scenes occasionally, and there'd be these underage kids that were driving. You know, they'd be fourteen or fifteen years old, and I'm thinking, where are their parents? You know, how come they don't know that their kids have taken the car and they're out in these cars? And you know, oh my gosh, what are these parents? So then I'm at this basketball game. And I'm talking to one of the other mothers, and she says, "Yeah, I saw, I saw Eric the other night." And I'm like, "You did? Where'd you see Eric at?" And she goes, "Yeah, at my house." And I'm like, "What?" And she said, "Yeah, Eric and Blake uh, had your truck, and uh, we're over at my house. This is like two o'clock in the morning." Oh no! So, so Eric and Blake, we had this old crew cab dually, you know, so this is a heavy vehicle, and they had pushed it up our driveway, you know, no, it didn't start the truck, and then got in the truck at the edge of the driveway, 
and drove all the back roads, you know, out to his friend's house, you know, about 10 miles away. <laughs> so after that, I decided that, okay, if I don't have, if I can't control my kids, then, yeah, I'm not going to be so judgmental about other people's, like, not knowing where their kids are. So, <laughs> How old was he? How old was Eric at that time? Uh, I think he was 15 when he did that. Yep. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so, so, yeah, raising raising five boys was always exciting because uh, if one, one of them didn't think of something, then somebody else did. We, <laughs> our oldest was with... Uh, his, Ricky was with Charles, and they were they were grown. And I'm trying to think how old they would have been, like 20 and 18, something like that. But anyway, they were on motorcycles, riding some of the back roads around here, and um, we didn't know they were out. But anyway, uh, I, I had went in early to the hospital to have dinner with Rick, and we get this phone call, or we get this notification that uh yeah there's a flight pending and would rick call dispatch and so when he calls dispatch they said yeah that it's rick tackett you know our son and he was involved in a motorcycle accident and they said well can you fly it and i'm like "Ooh," you know because i'm there and they so they're asking rick and because i wasn't on duty yet and um so I said, well, call the other program in town because there's another one, another helicopter in town. And uh, so they called them, and they were actually on standby for one of the paramedic sons. You know, so it's like, wow, what a weird day this is. So Rick ended up going out and flying uh, our oldest in. He had, was on a motorcycle, and swerved to miss a dog and hit the gravel and went through a barbed wire fence. It grabbed his helmet and ripped his neck all the way around except for like a spot in the back. So yeah. So he was he was holding, you know, his neck together and um yeah an initial report was all you know, numbness in his arm, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, he's, like, done something to his spinal cord and, you know, all this. And, of course, I'm thinking all the, the worst. But luckily, uh, all he ended up with was a heck of a scar around his neck. But very lucky, very lucky. We've, we've had some real close calls in our family, but uh, nothing nothing fatal. So, you know, we've... We've been blessed in that manner. But. Good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. How did you handle that? I mean, raising raising five boys and both you and your husband having full time demanding careers. Well, how did you do that? Um, we when Skylar was little, he's the youngest one. So we 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 started flying EMS, and he's about three. So what we would do, you know, we work 12-hour days, so we would crew change at work. Um, so we work 7 to 7. So a lot of times what we would do is we would take Skylar in to change 
uh, you know, crew change. And we'd hand them off, and it was kind of like, uh, okay, the helicopter is good, and the weather is good, and the crew is so-and-so, and, um, you know, you, you know, you might watch this on the helicopter or something. And, and I would say, well, okay, the boys have been fed. Uh, I did some laundry, and, and they're at home doing their homework. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of our crew change. And one morning, I remember we took I took Skyler in, and, and we went down the hall and went to the cafeteria, and we had Skyler, and he always carried this little this teddy bear with him, and his name was Ted. And um, his name we was were Ted? riding in the elevator. <laughs> so, that's adorable. So, so, so we're going down the hallway, and we said, yeah, we said, we'll feed you, but we're not going to feed Chad. And he goes, that's okay, he's stuffed. And I was like, wow, out of the out of the mouths of babes, you know, I thought, oh, cute. <laughs> but, but that was our life, you know. It was like, you know, it was kind of funny because a lot of people, the boys did uh, basketball and baseball. And, and football and taekwondo and um, all that kind of stuff. And because of our work schedule, oftentimes people didn't see the both of us together, you know, because it was like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one or the other would be on duty, you know, except for our, our off week, you know. So I think a lot of people didn't realize we were still married, you know, for a long time. <laughs> oh, yeah, no kidding, because you had, you had the shift change. Yeah, so like, you know, we went to all the ball games, one or the other, but yeah, we didn't often do a lot of things together except on our off week, which, you know, so it's kind of a, kind of a funny life, you know, that we lived all of our career with that, with that schedule. So it was kind of funny. <laughs> now, when was it that, when was it that you retired? Like, how old were I the re- boys? Um, well, I retired in 2009. Well, actually, it was 2012. I had a, the accident, uh, a helicopter accident in 2009 down in Florida. So um, all the boys were grown by then. Um, Skyler, the youngest, would have been 24, 25 then. So, yeah. So everybody was grown and out of the house. Well, kind of. As parents of of millennials, uh, they kind of come and go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's a it's a different world, and and we've always felt fortunate that yeah we we had room, and so yeah now we're ready to kind of buy an RV and and, and leave the nest. I think we're gonna have to leave the nest. There we go. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah in 2009 is uh, mm-hmm. that's that's kind of when I think about I retired. Is is uh, I had the helicopter accident ended my career and um, so yeah. Can I ask about that? Sure, sure. Yeah, I I was uh, we were down in Florida and. Um, August 17th, in life, there's, there's certain things that, certain dates, you know, I'm not, I've never been a big date person, but 
that's one that now it's kind of weird because it's like I think of things before the accident, after the accident, and um, yeah, you know, you try not to like dwell on it, but yeah, that's kind of how my mind works. But so August seventeenth in two thousand nine, um, twelve thirty at night, I, I we get this call to go offshore to um, Boca Grande or uh, Upper Captiva offshore there. And it had been kind of like raining, but uh, down in Florida, you know, it rains almost every day. And so, you you know, they're just sporadic little showers, you know. So as I was headed out, I uh, it kind of went through a few little showers. And uh, so I'm about, I get to Pine Island, I'm about 500 feet. And I had the autopilot set on the helicopter. And... Then we go over the bay, and everything looks fine. I'm talking to dispatch. I was talking to air traffic control. I, you know, I look over, and um, you know everything. I, I saw the uh, landing zone, and everything looked fine. And I was talking to the landing zone people, and. All of a sudden, my paramedic goes, geez, it's really dark out here, and we're flying over the bay, which is, um, it always looks dark, you know. It's just a big black area of water. So I said, yeah, you know, it's always dark out here. And I turned the searchlight on because it was time to turn the searchlight on. I turned it on, and all I saw in front of me was water. And my thought then was, oh, my God, you know. Uh, I've been in safety, aviation safety, for 20, 25 years at that point, you know. So, uh, you know, I, I knew the statistics. You know, I studied accidents of, you know, what happens when people hit water. Um, so my my thought when I, I saw the water, oh, my God, flight crews don't survive this. And uh, we hit the water. And just on instinct, I must have flared the helicopter. We found out later because, you know, the tail, the tail boom was, like, way behind me. But uh, so my first reaction when I hit the water was, um, you know, oh, my God, this is it. And, and then the helicopter somersaulted end over end. And we hit again, and every time we hit, I thought, oh, this is it, because, you know, a lot of helicopter accidents, the rotor blades come down and smack the pilot. So I guess that's, in my mind, that's what I was expecting, was just the end, you know. So then, all of a sudden, we're, it stops tumbling, and we're upside down in the water, and the windshield is broke out, and water is rushing in. And I remember thinking, well, crap. <laughs> now I'm going to drown. And I guess in my mind I was okay with my head getting chopped off. And, you know, the, and then but knowing I was going to drown, that was like on my number one way of I don't want to die is to drown. Mm-hmm. So the water is rushing that. in. Yeah. Yeah, well, but then 
water's coming in and I can't, you know, and, um, I can't breathe. And I remember thinking, I thought of Rick and the boys and, um, things got just like real peaceful, you know, real kind of quiet and peaceful. And I, I actually kind of remember seeing the light, you know, which I thought, well, you know, that's kind of weird, but you know, I, at the time I don't really, you know, didn't think about it. Um, so, but then this thought came to me and I thought, I know how to handle this, you know, I know how to get out of here. So I, uh, undid my helmet and undid my seatbelt, reached over and undid the door and I popped to the surface. And when I got up there, Dave was already out of the helicopter and on the surface. And he said, is everybody okay? Is everybody out? And I said, I'm out. And he said, where is Jason? Well, this was the first flight that Jason <clears throat> had been released as a as a paramedic. And he was like back behind us in the helicopter. So no sooner had Dave said that, though, and Jason popped up right behind me. So we all got out and uh, swam over, and we're hanging on to the skids of the helicopter. And luckily, we ended up on a sandbar. So the helicopter is resting on a sandbar, and the skids and the belly of the helicopter are out. And then somebody mentioned something about, well, they, we'd seen sharks in the bay. <laughs> and it was oh, like, my gosh. Oh, crud. <laughs> we, we've survived this. Now we're going to get eaten. So we scramble up on top of the helicopter, on the belly of the helicopter, mm-hmm. and we waited, you know. Um, and we were there like almost 45 minutes waiting, uh, because, you know, and it's dark, and it, you know, and. We waited for somebody to come, and finally the rescue from um, Upper Captiva came. And I remember telling them, like, to watch for the tail boom, which, you know, come to find out was not with the helicopter at all, you know. But, yeah, in my mind, it should have been there. Uh, so they put us in this boat, and uh, they're all their adrenaline, I'm sure, was going 90 miles an hour, and they're yippy-skipping across the across the bay in the dark. And, and the three of us kind of looked at each other like, wow, you know, we survived this helicopter accident, and now they're going to kill us in a boat going across the bay, you know? Well, it's like, it's like, it's like we're all kind of okay, kind of slow down if you don't mind a little bit, you know? Like, right, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we... We ended up with, um, uh, we got to the hospital and <laughs> I, I remember standing there. Of course, we're covered in jet fuel, you know, because of the accident. And I'm in the decon shower area at the hospital and I look out and there's like this foot gap of, you know, because you're standing outside the ER is, you know, where mm-hmm. these decon showers are, right? And I'm standing there, and, I, you know, it's dripped down, and I'm soaping up, washing everything off. And I look out, and I thought, you know, I can see, like, everything outside because there's just, like, foot 
foot gap, you know, in the curtain. <laughs> so if I can see out, I'm sure everybody can see me, you know. And so, so yeah, it was like one of those, you know, kind of surreal moments. You kind of go, wow. <laughs> so finally somebody, like, covered up the hole and he had to be a towel. But, uh, yeah, I've had uh, over ten surgeries since then. Come to find out, we um, my neck I'm fused uh, at five levels in my spine, and my blew out my kind of blew out my knees and my shoulders, and but I'm alive, you know. So you know, I've, I've just kind of taken it day by day, and you know, you, you you learn to appreciate you know everything. So yeah, I'm not saying I don't have rough days, but yeah, you know it's. I, I do appreciate everything, and it kind of gives life a, a total different meaning, you know. Yeah. How was it difficult to go from having really hard days regularly to? I mean, I, I'm 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 asking this. Like, is it was it difficult to having to go from having more regular hard days to? Like appreciating to appreciating life, like how were you able to get to the point you're at now? That's more what I'm asking. Yeah, I, I was very fortunate that um, I had a real when they debriefed us after the accident. Um, one of the psychologists that was worked with the debrief team also did a lot of work with veterans, and so she was really good with trauma. Um, and so I started seeing her a lot after the fact. And we did a lot of um, EMDR. Don't ask me what that stands for. Uh, but it, it's almost, it's, it, it almost seems hokey, you know, because um, she waves her feet. You think of the accident or you think of whatever aspect of the accident that is bothering you. And she'd wave her fingers in front of your your face. Mm-hmm. And it was weird because it's almost like it um it makes makes it go from like behind your eyes to back farther in your brain. And um so doing that and a lot of cognitive kind of, you know, meditation and um things like that, uh, you know, has really kinda helped. Uh, you know, I do have still rough days, you know, and I try to remember to get back to you know, the meditation and the cognitive. And I do things like tapping, um, you know, and try to remember that I I am a positive person. I'm not a, you know, I'm not that negative, ho-hum kind of person, you know. Mm -hmm. And Thor seems to help, you know. The the, the goofy guy that he is, um, you know, we, we go out and play, you know, just playing ball in the yard. And our stick, you know, and watching him traipse around in like a little pony or whatever, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, it really for, seems to For help, those of you, you know? that don't know, he's, a, uh, Thor is the service dog she was gifted from Last for Liberty. And, and he's, he's a big guy. <laughs> he's not your standard little lab and, and, and I think he's, He's kind of grown into a lot of his himself now. Um, 
And Thor almost died uh, of Parvo here, you know, last November. So I kind of think that maybe we were a kindred spirit, you know, that we have that, that near-death thing in common. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I, I think that maybe he was, you know, a little bit stunted in his growth, and now he's kind of catching up. But <laughs> he's, he reminds me of a, a teenager sometimes now, you know. He's, he's goofy. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, there's... There's a lot of things in life that, you know, that, that you, people, I, you don't talk, you know, as you're going through life, you don't stop and take the time to enjoy them. And it's kind of a shame. And that's kind of one thing that I've, I've tried to, like, tell people now is that, you know, slow down and enjoy life, you know. And I, I've actually had a, a couple of my doctors now, you know, I'm like, hey, you know, you need to, like, slow down. and you know, enjoy life, and and then I go to make my next appointment, and, and yeah, I'm just retired, and I thought, okay, I really didn't, remember, you know, mean that you should, like, <laughs> leave me. <laughs> oh, my gosh, that's funny, though. I mean, it's, it's yeah. a, you know, it's a double-edged sword. On the one hand, they're taking your advice. On the other hand, yeah. they have to find new doctors. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like, well, hey. <laughs> But yeah, I've had a couple of them, you know, that ha- that has happened, and I thought, okay, you know, I'm glad that they're enjoying life now, you know, because it it is tough. I, you know, it's tough for a lot of people, you know, and it's, it's tough on the spouses too, you know, when we go through these kind of things. Um, you know, I've, I, I, oftentimes, you know, it's it's a me, me, me thing, and you think you're the only one going through it, but. You know, I, then I stop and I think, well, no, it's just as hard on Rick, you know, because all these surgeries that I've been through, you know, he's gone through them on the other aspect. And that really, he retired in 2012, and not long after he retired, he was up on a ladder and fell and broke his humerus. I just oh. shattered it. Yeah. Uh and that was up here in Missouri, and then we drove back down to Florida, and by the time we got back down to Florida after his surgery, it had become infected. So he ended up having, like, five surgeries to, like, remove the cadaver bone and then and put um, antibiotic beads in and then take them out. And then he was on daily antibiotics that we had to go into the hospital every day so <laughs> yeah it was you know you, you learn you know that wow you know it's this happens to both of us you know and yeah you know, sometimes you think wow I, I shouldn't be going through this at 48 or you know 50 or um but you never know when life is going to throw those kind of wrenches at you you know no you, know, you really don't you know, and and flying EMS, you know, we used I used to see it on a, a daily basis, and, and you, you know, and I, I think I, I learned early on in, in my career, you know, that you should appreciate everything. But yeah, it's not really until you've had like a, a near death experience that it really comes, you know, comes down to you. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, now. 
in in regards to in regards to your relationship with Rick, I mean, if you could if you could give yourself advice or maybe somebody else who's in a similar situation that you were in, you know, maybe more towards the beginning of your career when you were still like in the thick of all of it in regards to having five five boys at home and you and your husband both working full time. Um and trying to navigate through all that, what kind what kind of advice would you would you give to somebody who is in a situation like that? Well, you know, I think it's really tough on it's tough on men and women, but I think we, as women, we have a tendency to put more stress on ourselves. Um, I know I probably fell under that codependent label of you know if I don't do it, nobody's going to do it. So you run yourself kind of nuts, you know. And, right. Yeah, but I early on when the boys came to live with us, you know, I tried to do the whole. Well, let me go back a little bit. We got married in June, and then mm-hmm. the boys came to live with us in August. So I was 22, uh, a newlywed, and then a mother of uh, four at the time. So, so, so here I yeah, am. You know, I didn't have a clue, you know. But you know, a lot of it at that point, you just do it, you know. You you just it's kind of funny because you just do it. But I, I, I decided early on that I'd much rather let things go and spend time with the boys and the family than I would worrying about uh, an absolutely spotless clean house. Um, mm-hmm. That it was much more important to enjoy the moments and, you know, have those moments than it was to, you know, to worry about, geez, you know, my, you know, the house is absolutely spotless, you know, it's, um, so yeah, and it's looking back now on different things, you know, all of a sudden you realize it's the small things that everybody enjoys in life. It's not those those big birthday parties that you spent, you know, a month trying to figure out and, and all this money. You know, it's the little things like like Christmas stockings or Easter baskets and, you know, little funny things. So yeah, it's everybody you know, I think you just need to slow down and, you know, do the little things that make – and my boys remember, like, when I would travel back and forth, I'd bring – at the time, they had all these gummy things like big rats or snakes or, you know, <laughs> so I'd bring things like that home. And, yeah, they remember, like, oh, yeah, remember the rats you brought home, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the big – Hoop to do things. It's it's the little fun things that you do, you know. Yeah. See, this is. I mean, this is a big part of why why I love doing this podcast and why I wanted to interview you is because, I mean, even in that conversation we had, whenever it was months ago, when you when you and Thor were pairing, you're just you're full and you don't have to agree with me on this that's totally okay you're full of a lot of wisdom and you just have a lot of really important I feel insights into life and it's just I'm I learn a ton getting to talk with you I I really do appreciate it 
And again, you don't have to agree with me on this. It's totally fine. <laughs> well, my my brother likes to say uh, I'm like a Yoda or something, and I don't know where all that's come from or if I've always been that way or if it's like since the accident or something. It is kind of funny because um, when you've had like a near-death experience, uh, I, I don't know if everybody goes through it, but, you know, I I kind of looked for that big thing, you know, it's like, okay, what's going to be my big thing, you know, I survived this for a reason kind of thing, mm-hmm. and um, then all of a sudden you realize, uh, at least I did, you know, that it wasn't a big thing, you know, I did, wasn't going to do this, like, big thing in my life, I didn't, you know, that it's more... Uh, um, Maybe I talked to somebody at the gas station and, you know, I, you know they, they said, oh, well, you know, you've reaffirmed why I'm doing this or, you know, my life or whatever, you know. And it's, yeah, you know, or, you know, <clears throat> now with Thor, it's kind of funny because you know how it is. You're out and um, all of a sudden somebody will go, well, can I pet your dog? And it's like, well, yeah. And you get to talk to them and all of a sudden, you know, they're like, yeah, I feel so much better today. So I think it's the small things is why we're all here. It's yeah. not, you know, big things. Although, you know, I have to say, Jason, that was with us, you know, the one in the accident that popped up behind me, mm-hmm. um, he's gone on now, and he's a doctor down in Fort Hood. But while he was in medical school, he was at a, a go track or go kart track. And um, this man got out of the go-kart and all of a sudden collapsed. And Jason uh, went over, because he was a paramedic, uh, knew what to do. So Jason went over and thumped the guy's chest and started CPR. And the guy is alive today because of that. Wow. So, you know, it it's kind of that six degrees of separation or whatever that you never know who you're going to touch or where, you know, it's, you know, if we hadn't all survived out of the accident, then that wouldn't have happened, you know, so, mm-hmm. so yeah, exactly. kind of, you know, yeah, and, you know, we're all, we're all here for a reason, and um, some days it's harder to remember that than others. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely true, absolutely yeah. true. But, yeah, you know, we all have tough days, and, um, you know, me included, you know, it's like, you know, a lot of people think, oh, yeah, I'm so positive, you know, and nothing ever bothers me, and it's like, that's not true, you know, I'm I'm as susceptible to um, being depressed as, as the next person, you know, and, um, yeah, it takes time sometimes, to, and I really believe, you know, like the dogs help, or... I try to remind myself to get back to, you know, that that happy place, you know. And I always, I always say I'm, I'm not always Sally Sunshine, you know. But <laughs> yeah. Well, it's I, impossible. I to try be to be. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. But yeah, it's, you know, a lot of people, yeah, they think that, you know, when they run across people that are positive, that they're never not positive. Well, I don't. You know, that's probably not true, that sometimes those people need as much support as as anybody, you know. 
mm-hmm. and, and because we're positive, people forget that, you know, but yeah, we're all human. Yeah, which is, I feel like, one of the most important things to remember, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, it's a, it, it, it's a tough world we live in, and, um, you know, I think just, I've always tried to believe that you should treat people as you want to be treated, you know, and if, I think if people can remember that, that that's, that would help a lot of people. You know, because nobody wants to be treated badly. And I think if you can go through and just treat them like you want to be treated, then mm-hmm. the world would be a better place. You know, over, over the years, I've seen a lot of uh, just nasty people, you know, and uh, yeah, just, yeah, you think, you know, if they just spent that time doing something positive, what what this world could be, you know. I I am right there with you. I really am. It doesn't take it doesn't take that much effort or that much time to be a good person and to be good to other people. It really doesn't. Right, right. And sometimes I think you never know, like when you smile at somebody, um, what that's going to do. You know, if everybody mm-hmm. just smiles at somebody and then that person smiles at somebody. Uh, you know, I, I I really think that that could change a lot of things because, uh, you know, it's it's kind of funny because things have happened. And uh, when I was in flight school, I, I got into a, a little bit of trouble uh, just because I'm the way I am. And uh, I'm, I'm not the most military <laughs> Actually, my roommate got in trouble, and I just happened to be wrong place, wrong time. But anyway, no big deal. <laughs> so I ended up having to do what they called taxi time, and I had to walk the street in my class A's every day, like after class, which meant that I didn't have that extra time to, like, get my wall locker ready. Mm-hmm. And... um so luckily, the guys in my flight, uh, you know, helped me with my my wall locker and stuff like that, you know. And um, after I got through all that, my tax officer called me in the office, and uh, he looked at me and he goes, he goes, Hensley, he goes, that's you know my main name. He goes, Hensley, he goes, why are why are you always smiling? And I said, well, sir, I said it's a hell of a lot better than crying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a great response. Yeah, so that's always kind of been my philosophy, you know. It's like, yeah, you can smile and, and laugh, or it's a hell of a lot better than cry, you know. <laughs> that or true. smile, it makes people wonder what you're up to, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that does work, too. I like the other one a little bit better, though, quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got I've got to ask as uh, like a final question. You you're full of so much wisdom, and I'm curious to know um, out of out of all of your wise words, out of all of your experiences, is there is there something in particular that if you if you wish you could impart like one thing to the world, 
advice wise, what would it be? Like, what do you feel like is the most influential thing that has affected your life? Well, early on, I was told, you know, that uh, my uncle actually, you know, that uh, he said, Diana, he said, you can be anything you want to be. And for some reason at that point in my life, um, that really held something for me, you know. So as I went through life and still, you know, I can remember him saying that, you know. But so what I took from that is you never know when you're going to say something to somebody that's going to be that one word or that one statement that is going to make all the difference, you know. Uh, so as I've gone through, whether I'm talking to kids or my husband or, or whoever, you know, I try to remember that whatever I say to the, you know, this individual, I may say that one thing and, you know, I'm sure when my uncle told me, hey, Diana, you can be anything you want to be, it was just a statement. I'm sure he didn't think that, hey, this is going to be a life-changing thing for you. Mm-hmm. But at that time, I think I was 13 at the time or around there. And so, yeah, when you talk to people, um, you never know when you're going to say something that may be that one thing that they remember the rest of their life, you know. So, yeah, we should always try to watch our watch our words or, you know, you know, it's always hard to watch it, but you never know exactly what you're, you know, when you're going to influence somebody, you know, to be oh, the absolutely. best they can be. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, I mean, all of it's solid advice, quite frankly. And um, whoever is listening to this, I, I hope they've been able to take as much of as much out of everything you've said as as I am, and I, I will re-listen to this as well, and I'm sure I'll get even more out of it the second time around. Um, but I, I really can't thank you enough for doing this. Um, and this is. This is a phone interview, so for just going out of your way and making the time, because you are truly, truly an incredible person, and um, and I appreciate it. Well, thank you for that, and thank you for everything you do. 